chapter 2, page 1590 and 91 in our bench Bibles. The context is Luke 2, 1 to 20, but I'm going to start the reading at verse 8 because you've all heard this scripture many times and probably will in the next month again. Luke 2, page 1591, beginning the reading at verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And then the next verse is our text. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Now this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger, suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And we'll end the scripture here. These the very words of God. Advent. Let's spend just a couple minutes focusing on the season and this is reminder, in a sense. My notes say I told you about this three years ago, but that's okay. I went through an advent in 2005. I was a trustee at Calvin College. We were told one day that President George Bush was going to come and speak to graduation. Okay. Before the speech... The Secret Service agents came in and told us that we had to properly prepare for the visit, which meant many things, including a check of criminal history and whether we were on any list of uh, possible foreign terrorists and so on and on. And when the day came, in fact, a couple days before, the campus was filled with Secret Service people searching everyone and everywhere. And then the day of the president's visit, we had to get in line and go through security. In fact, this security, that security, and the next security for a couple of hours, actually, of preparation. And then we were ushered in a narrow hallway into the building in which no one could sort of sneak in line and as trustees, we were put in front seats where I was maybe 10 feet from the president. Preparation for an important event. Now, the thing I remember most carefully these years later about the advent of the president in the Calvin College graduation was the Secret Service men pacing on the sides of where he spoke, looking gruff, eyes all over the place, guns obvious by holding their uh, suit coats apart so everybody knew they had guns and everything. Prepare, take it seriously, an important advent is happening. 
That's what Advent is about, and today is the first day of Advent 2018. Advent means coming to prepare for something great. Now that much having been said about the season, let's go to the text here. Luke 2, and I've chosen verse 11 because I think the names of Christ are very important. And I'm not sure we always see the connection between happenings these days and the person and work of Christ, and so sort of a generic introduction to Advent sermon. What I'd like you to do, and this would be the main point of the sermon, is uh, believe, by which I mean affirm or affirm again, your trust in, and we'll pick up the names in Luke 2, verse 11 especially, Jesus Christ the Lord. And as sort of sub-main points, I'd like you to recognize secular alternatives that don't and can't save that we're not always so well aware of. So uh, we'll go with that. I hope that you will have from this sermon information and also new appreciation for God sending a son into this world and as necessary transformation of your life. So, enough said to introduce it, let's go to it. Luke 2 verse 11. Today in the town of David, that's Bethlehem, of course, we'll let that go for right now, a Savior has been born to you. Let's deal with that word, Savior. A couple of thoughts along with expressing them as points of application. First, be very sensitive to what I'll call, and I spent a long time trying to get the language, I hope it's clear here, to secular Savior substitutes. And in order to make it clear, let's try a few word pictures or illustrations. If we go throughout all of history, you will see people in every century and every culture having to deal with what I called here secular savior substitutes. Just for instance, one illustration before the 1900s. In the 16, 17, and 1800s, one of the motivations for the explorers to explore the United States West was that there supposedly was some fountain of eternal youth out there. Now, if there's a fountain of eternal youth from which you can drink or what eat or whatever, then you have salvation. It may be an earthly salvation, but you have it, you see. Now, there was no fountain out there. There was no one who could do the saving work of Jesus Christ out in the American West. Just a lot of dry desert. When you come, to the 1900s, there are other things you just want to be aware of and alert to. In the 1900s, we got all these fairy tales. Remember what the typical fairy tale ending was? They lived happily ever after. 
did the three little pigs really live happily ever after? And Cinderella live happily ever after? I just ask that because I want you to be discerning. The claim to live happily ever after is exactly what Jesus' Savior came into this world to give to his people. See, he is both the fountain of eternal youth with our heavenly bodies, and through him we live happily ever after. And then, here's one that really bothered me. In the 1930s, we got Social Security. Okay, my grandpa paid very little into it, lived to be 90s, given a lot of money from it. I'm sure it has its benefits. I'm not really creating it, or, or I mean criticizing it. But at the same time, when I learned Latin and Greek, the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 1, what is your only comfort in life and death? And that word comfort in Latin means with strength, and probably the best translation <laughs> for our times is security. What is your only security in life and death? And, you know, it's nice we have Social Security. I'm on it. I mean, I'm about 70 years old. I appreciate it. I'm not putting it down. But at the same time, Social Security is really a misnomer. It's not social. It's financial. And it cannot give you security in spite of the fact that so many people talk all the time about how when you're 65, 66, or whatever, you're on easy street, and apparently you're going to continue to enjoy those years forever. Again, be discerning. And I'll repeat it. No put down, but what you have to realize is that the work of saving you just doesn't work through earthly things. And I could go on and on, and I will, but not long. Gambling, supposedly, if you can win the jackpot, you live happily ever after. Lotteries, same motivation, live happily ever after, win. Stories published about gamblers and lottery winners say they're some of the most miserable people around. We were in California visiting son Jim recently. Uh, I always think of it when we passed the Ted Williams Parkway. He grew up in that area. He died and had his body frozen until they could find a medical solution to the cause of his death. Now, as I said, enough said, but the work of saving you cannot and does not come through any secular sort of substitute that may blur your eyes to Jesus. Jesus came to save. Matthew one twenty one. you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Here's someone who sensed he needed Jesus, and in a way I hope this is you. John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, Christian, called at a time pilgrim at the beginning of the story. 
becomes spiritually sensitive and he cries out and he says, life, life, eternal life. I seek eternal life. Where can I find my salvation? Where can I find my life? Where can I find eternal life? And he sets out on a journey seeking after eternal life. He's seeking a savior, you see. Jesus is savior. Interesting thing happened. And I believe it was 2015 on a television show called The Antique Road Show. Someone came onto the show with some old writing, signatures of baseball players from the 1800s and other sports memorabilia for when baseball was young. That memorabilia was evaluated and became the most valuable antique ever on the road show. It was valued at a million dollars plus of baseball memorabilia. Well, wonderful. But this morning I'm telling you about the advent of someone who dates way back before the 1800s. In fact, some 1800 years before the 1800s, who is able to do something above and beyond, far above and beyond what any baseball players can do. If we let athletes or actors become more important to us than Jesus, we are not wise. Our text says, again, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born, Jesus Christ the Lord. He's Jesus. So today, appreciate Jesus. If need be, affirm your faith in him for the first time or reaffirm your faith in him today, this Advent. Appreciate him anew. And then one more thing yet. Be alert to the fact you should prioritize Advent and the Savior this Advent. Now, we live in a world that can be rightly described as existential. Don't let me lose you on this with the abstract words. Existential, humanistic, and materialistic. Existential means referring to this existence or life only. This Advent, you need to think about spiritual life and prioritize spiritual life, not just this life. Secular means attention to this secular world only, not to God and godliness. Prioritize your Advent year this year around God and godliness. And materialistic means material things. And I, I want to say I am so grateful for material. I believe that we live in the best century in human history. I mean, look at all that stuff that we saw that could be bought recently on what they call Black Friday. I just rejoiced in it. 
our ancestors would be absolutely awestruck about what we see by way of goods in grocery stores and in the big box stores and in the big retailers like Sam's and Costco. I don't want to put that down. Once in a while, people think, oh, yeah, ministers are going to be down, down, down on that. Not me. I think God has given you the privilege of living in the materialistically best time in all history. And I want you to know that. What a privilege to live in our time. Awesome. But at the same time, the best materialism can become everything, see? And so that's why prioritize in this Advent. Put in your first place. Jesus Savior, and not all the other good things out there. Now we have to move on, and we will, but I hope you have a feel now for what I'm driving at. Information that will make you appreciate the season and transform you in whatever way it needs to, from becoming a Christian to celebrating the season better. Now the next word, in the text, and I will emphasize that more than lordship this morning. Christ. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ. Now, throughout history, there are Christ figures, and I could mention lots of them. Zorro, when our country was uh, young, but I'll start with the 1950s. Just... Uh, Listen again and appreciate sort of the secular claims to do what a Christ can do. Christ is God incarnate, right? Messiah, uh, the God person, the, the, the truly divine son of God who became human. And because he was God and human, he could do godly work for humans. That's brief, but that's an overview of what Christ or Messiah means. Now, in the 1950s, we got all of these comics, and one of the most popular was the Superman comics. Superman had certain characteristics all of these alleged superheroes have. Supernatural, he could fly, super smart, super strong, and super good, a good guy. Those are the characteristics Christ brings in his incarnation. Superhero, supernatural, son of God, super smart, knew our real needs, super strong, and super good. Remember Tarzan, some of you older folk? <laughs> Tarzan. And then 1960s, this one. Mighty Mouse, one of the first cartoons I watched. Maybe some of you remember that. Mighty Mouse, too. He would take some kind of drug, didn't know what it was, and all of a sudden a lowly mouse would become a Superman-like animal with all these characteristics, supernatural, super smart, super strong, and super good. Animation in the 60s brought a lot of these things. And then color television in the 70s. Superman revived. The program said, faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. It's Superman. 
and lowly Clark Kent would take off his glasses and put on his Superman gown and go all over the place flying around to whoever was needy doing good for the needy. (laughs) We sort of recognize, you know, the silliness and all of that. But at the same time, what I want you to see today is that none of these secular figures you see can do what Christ, the Superman, can do. And Superman must have been very incredible because we got Batman later and then the Incredible Hulk and Wonder Woman. Got to get a woman in this. And then later Superboy besides. And then another 20 years later, Christopher Reeves playing Superman in a more modern way. And then he rode a horse and fell off it and was paralyzed from the neck down. No Superman could help him out with that, you see. He needed the Christ. Advent shows us our need for Christ. Any of you remember Popeye the Sailor Man? I am who I am who I am. And he would eat spinach and be transformed into a Christ-like figure who could beat up on Brutus and save his girlfriend from the villain Brutus. So we got a devil figure in all of this. That's probably enough said. Actually, well, it's not quite. Since the year 2000, these things have actually expanded, these superheroes, but I was upset enough and old enough, I don't know much about him, and I'm not trying to find out about him, but you get Death Barter and uh, Lex Luthor and all of that business, you know. But here's the point again. Messiah, Christ, means that the one and only one who can be what all of these cartoon and pretend figures pretend to be, A superhero with supernatural, super smart, super strong, and super good characteristics. That's what Christ means, folks. Now appreciate him. If you listen to your news this week on the radio, I noticed another one. Gene editing scientists from various countries, but they had a meeting in China, claim that they can now gene edit babies to get rid of all negative characteristics, biologically negative characteristics. Did you see that uh, article? I'm going to make it so that people can't get AIDS and things like that. And then a few days later, by the way, there was a follow-up article. The Chinese government says this isn't good. I mean, if the wrong people would edit wrong people the wrong way, they, well, that would be a big problem. So supposedly they shut down the research. But anyway, these scientists alleged that they could create a human being who was perfect and indestructible. Can they? I don't know, probably not, because that would be a Christ-like work. Christ is the one who does such things because he is the God person, you see. Appreciate this Advent, the Christ whom God sent from heaven. If you aren't a Christian, become one. Actually, the Heidelberg Catechism addresses the matter of Christ here in Lord's Day 
12 question and answer 32. Just hear it. But why are you called a Christian? Because by faith I am a member of Christ. Christian means Christ follower. And so I share in his anointing. I am anointed to confess his name. Become a Christian by confessing his name. Reading again to present myself to him as a living sacrifice of thanks. To strive with a good conscience against sin and the devil in this life. And afterward to reign with Christ over all creation for all eternity. Jesus saves. Christ able to save. By the word, the way, the word Messiah means anointed one and that's like a president taking the oath of office, but I don't think anointed one communicates as well as it should. Anointed one means one who is able because he has office, has authority, and power like a president. That's what Messiah means and Christ means. And his heavenly personhood, his incarnation, gives him that. And you become a Christ follower, a Christian, by confessing your faith. Not just by the way saying you believe in God. Confessing your faith, following up with Christian conduct, and with your conscience, fighting against evil to the best of your ability. And once again, prioritize your life. I really hope you appreciate what we talked about earlier. The secularly most wonderful era in history, at least in your preacher's opinion, and the materialistically most wonderful era in history, at least again in my opinion. But at the same time, you'll have to be careful that you're not overwhelmed by the good so that you miss out the better. Prioritize your lives. When Lewis and Clark's Corps of Discovery went up the Missouri River in 1804 following, they reached the Wampan Indian villages in present-day Dakota. We used to live there. You get lots of stories of those days, and everything is Lewis and Clark, it seems, over there. Christmas Day came. came the, the, the expedition was with the Wampan Indians that first Christmas. How do you explain Christmas to Indians? Their explanation was Great Medicine Day. Oh, good explanation because to the Indians, medicine meant health, strength, longer life, and the most wonderful of things. Now, Christ is more, of course, than a great medicine man, but at the same time, they were getting at what Christ can do that which is above and beyond the ordinary. Okay, Christ. Now, the last word in the text we'll focus on here. Today in the town of David, a Savior's been born to you. He's Christ the Lord. He's Christ the Lord. In a way, the word Lord should receive more emphasis than the others because lordship is so misunderstood in our time. 
Uh, lordship means boss or ruler. And throughout human history, would-be lords, and there are many, I won't cite many examples today, would-be lords always try to prioritize themselves over Christ as Lord. That was the case in ancient government where the leaders of, say, Egypt, but every nation at that time, claimed to be the Son of God incarnate. Pharaoh was supposedly a son of God. The same was happening in Rome right at the time Jesus was born. For centuries, the Roman leaders were called princeps, meaning leading citizens. But then with Octavius, who was ruling when Christ was born, he took on the name Caesar, which hinted at divinity. And along with Caesar, he took on the name Augustus, meaning the August one, the divine one to be worshipped. That word August still comes across a little bit in English if we talk about an August personality, but it's sort of dropping out. But Caesar Augustus meant Caesar the divine one, the one who claimed to be Lord because he was God incarnate. That's the world in which Jesus was born. Now, in that world in which Jesus was born, the Christians said, Caesar is not Lord. Rather, Jesus is Lord. And we think that some of our New Testament verses that are hard for us to understand really are indirect ways of saying so that the readers would not be martyred or killed. Jesus is Lord. For example, the King James has one text that says, if anyone does not, let's see, how does that go? I won't look it up. But if anyone says Jesus is cursed, let him be anathema. Oh, well, you've heard a lot of people use a lot of cursed language, but who goes around saying that? We think that was a veiled way of saying, if you confess Caesar's Lord instead of Jesus, not good. And another text for those of you who might read the King James yet, Maranatha, let's see, anathema, Maranatha. Uh, anathema means cursed, and Maranatha means come quickly, Lord Jesus. We think again that that text is referring to that once a year thing where all people were supposed to make an offering or some incense sacrifice to Caesar as Lord and then go about and do whatever you want by way of religious practice. Okay. Because the Christians, so many of them, would not say Caesar is Lord even once a year, 
but instead Christ is Lord or ruler of my life, first ruler. We have the martyrs and 300 years of persecutions. I told you about something else once, I won't repeat it, but when my father, who died this year, was 90 years old, he was interviewed by the um, Historical Society of Kentwood, Michigan. His memory was very good, yet of depression and even a little bit of pre-depression days. And when the interview was done and I was taking him back to his living quarters, the car radio said that the United States Supreme Court that day affirmed homosexual practice as a newfound right, which supposedly no one had noticed before. Oh, okay. Now my dad's question, and you can, I guess, forgive a 90-year-old for asking this question, was, and what did the Supreme Court say by way of explaining what the Bible says about homosexual practice? And my answer was, I'm sure nothing. A majority of five people had personal opinions by which their personal opinions became Lord in this land through laws that these five people declared to be laws because they were acting like lords instead of God. Even our language can be difficult. We speak of the government. God is the government. Our language is misleading, bad theology. We speak of the Supreme Court. God is the Supreme Court, and on and on, see. Lord means ruler. The ideal is God ruling through human government and through human courts. And any claim by any court or any government to be the is a trying to supplant God as the government, the law, the court of the universe. The early Christians were very sensitive to these issues. We have a First Amendment in this country that says that Congress shall make no law regarding an establishment of religion. That means you may have an established church, establishmentarianism, very big in political concerns at the time when you had state churches. And there's always a move to quote Thomas Jefferson when he was a doddering old man and not mentally clear, separation of church and state, and that wall of separation is used to say, shut up Christians about what God says in public life. That's a denial of lordship. Now, again, no attempt on my part to put down our country. I love our country. If I had time, I'd tell you the things I love about it, including the three-part government that comes out of John Calvin's theory about um, 
Trinity and including our economics, which comes also out of Calvin. So I love our country, no put-downs. But the point I'm making is that the Lord of the universe is Jesus Christ, and that was the big issue in Bible times, New Testament times. And so therefore, to sort of conclude, this Advent, we celebrate the coming of one who is far more important than the President of the United States coming to Calvin College. And his names mean something and are precious. Jesus Christ the Lord. Appreciate Jesus Christ the Lord again this Christmas. Arrange, rearrange if you need to. Prioritize your lives in our wonderfully secular and wonderfully materialistic world so that the most wonderful thing of all is above and beyond the secular and the material. One closing story. Another one of those I remember. True story, by the way. I looked up a couple of these in uh, scopes. A wealthy man in the 1960s became a widower, had one son. The son went to war in Vietnam. Man received a notice from the government. Your son died in battle. Sometime later, the grieving man heard a knock on his door, answered, and another young man came and said, I want you to know how your son died. We were working together on a mission in Vietnam. And all of a sudden, there was uh, enemy gunfire all around. And he said, your son pushed me down on the ground. And before he could fall flat, the enemy shot him. And he died on the spot. So he died that I might live. I want you to know your son did a Christ-like thing when he died so that I might live. That's what Savior means. And then the soldier went on and said, I'm sort of an amateur artist. I want to draw a picture of your son. He did. And then he said to the grieving father, I want you to have the picture. Gave it to him. The father recognized his son. And an artist's skill to express who the son really was through the way he drew the picture of the son. Well, the years passed, and the wealthy man came to his time of death. Since he was wealthy, his estate was being told, sold. He had no heirs at the time by, I believe it's called Southby's in England. The auctioneer said, before we proceed, we're going to uh, auction off the picture of the sun. Put the picture of the sun up and uh, asked for bids, and there were no bids for a while. And then the father's janitor, gardener janitor, said, I will bid for it. And he bid a minimal amount, and the auctioneer said, sold. And then the auctioneer said, now the sale is done. The will stipulates that 
Whoever gets the Son gets everything. That's the Son of God advent. If you have the Son of God, you have everything. Jesus, Savior, Christ, able to save, and Lord, ruler of your lives. Let's pray. God, we saw information, maybe heard some things new and some things old that we need to be reminded of. We seek transformation as necessary either to be, become your people or to be your people with new love for you, new loyalty to you, and appreciation of what Advent is all about, and also prioritization in our life of the Christ of Advent over the good things in our world. Amen.